Hi, I'm Andrea Blythe, co-host of New Books and Poetry, a podcast of the New Books Network. Today, we're speaking with Ivy Johnson about her new book, Born Again, which was published by The Operating System. Ivy is a poet and performance artist living in Oakland, California. Her first book, As They Fall, is a collection of 110 note cards for aleatoric ritual and was published by Timeless Infinite Light in 2013. She is co-founder of The Third Thing, an ecstatic feminist art duo, which published their first self-titled chapbook uh, with Portable Press at Yo-Yo Labs in 2016. Hi, Ivy. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Kind of starting at the beginning, I'd like to kind of know how you first started to engage with poetry, both as a reader and a writer. Yeah. uh, So I got into poetry pretty young, actually. Um, I think it had a lot to do with me growing up uh, pretty religious in the Pentecostal church. So I had been read Bible stories and um, verses and contemplated the Bible pretty early. So it kind of just led me, um, I think, to see the power of language and uh, like a deep, the deep emotional power and spiritual power. So I think probably as young as fourth grade, um, I remember we had a, a library day where we learned the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> and I uh, went into the poetry section and just opened up, um, I think it was something like Wordsworth, like that I don't read too much anymore. But I remember opening it up and reading it and not being able to understand the words, but just thinking, this is magic. So yeah, and then I started to write pretty young too. Um, I started writing in journals um, very, very young, like probably around the same time or before um and probably wrote poems as young as 10 and then of course it's developed since then but yeah it started pretty early for me that's great um what did you what kind of brought you to kind of thinking of like when did you start to kind of claim your place as a poet yeah um hmm it's a good question it's interesting I was just home in North Dakota uh, visiting my mom and she recently moved and uh, has uh, piles of my stuff. And so when I was visiting her, she was like, go through this. And there was this uh, big pile of papers from high school even. And uh, I had written a a lot of poems and submitted to, you know, various contests when I was uh, probably in high school, I think you know, that was also a time where I really started to individuate from my religion and um, become rebellious. And, you know, it's the time where we all figure out who we are. Uh, And poetry was a big part of me, uh, I guess, individuating from my family, turning away from my religion, um, and trying to figure myself out. So I would say, you know, teenage years, and I have journals and journals full of terrible poetry from that time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as you were going, uh, starting to grow into being a poet, um, like what was the response of the people around you, like from your family and uh, the people that you knew? Yeah, it was one of the things that was interesting when I was going through that pile that my mom had given me is that some of like, uh, when I mentioned I uh, submitted to contests, and almost all of them were uh, church based. 
Uh, so we had this thing called, it was regional teen talent. Um, so I remember I wrote this long rhyming poem about a girl in a small town. It was obviously me and it was pretty dark um, and kind of Sylvia Plath inspired, but the last line was like, and then she found Jesus. So I was, you know, very badly trying to kind of, you know, make it fit in, for context like that. But um, honestly, you know, I don't think my, my mom really read much of it other than the stuff that I submitted, which I doctored up, you know, in that way. Um, but I think, you know, there was no problem with poetry, um, me being a poet. And I mean, still, I don't think my family really, they, they buy my stuff and are supportive and that's nice. But I wonder if they, I kind of hope they don't read it actually. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mom. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, uh, how did you come to start um pursuing poetry um uh in terms of getting uh, published mm-hmm. um professionally and like did you did you go to yeah. school for writing and that sort of thing or did you kind of f- forge your own path yeah so um i mean i started to take poetry more seriously when i was at the new school um in new york for my undergrad I, uh, right after I graduated from high school, I moved to Seattle just kind of for no other reason that I wanted to be really far away from home. And I just went to community college. And for those years, I just was trying to like, you know, figure out how to live on my own without much money. Um, and then I transferred to the new school and I had a professor, Jennifer Firestone, um, who really encouraged me. And I think it was through her that I started interning at the Oh, maybe not interning, but I volunteered at the Poetry Project. Um, And then I uh, interned for the poet Brenda Jima. Um, And when I say interned, basically, I went over to her house and she gave me coffee and tons of books uh, and just talked to me. I didn't really have to do, I didn't do much work. Um, So I started to make those connections. And um, when I moved to California, um, I moved here for... I moved to Oakland to go to Mills to get an MFA. Um, But I guess the first thing that I had published was a small chat book, probably in 2000. Oh, I I think it's, I don't know, 2010, something like that, uh, from Boog City. It's called Walt Disney Light World Extravaganza. Totally different from what I write now. Um, And yeah, I just started to meet people, I guess. I met M.G. Sparrow, uh, who's one of the Timeless Infinite Light people um, at Mills. We actually lived together. before. uh, We decided to move in together before we really knew each other, but are really good friends now. Um, And my As They Fall book uh, was actually a a project that came out of a writing prompt uh, in a workshop at Mills. So, yeah, I mean, just kind of naturally through knowing people is how the publications have happened, although it's definitely not always easy. Um, yeah. So um, you also do performance work um, in addition to your poetry. How has uh, that's informed your po- 
poetry writing process and vice versa as you've kind of progressed on this path? Yeah, so I would say that first my poetry kind of informed uh, my performance art. Um, I met Kate Robinson also at Mills. Um, and I think uh, we both were interested in just having, you know, an embodied experience and had talked about um, feeling kind of like, uh, how, actually, I might say it a different way. I guess um, when I started, I've been writing poems for a long time, or I had been writing poems for a long time um, before I started doing performance art, where I was basically writing ideas for performances. And I would think to myself, like, God, wouldn't it be great if I could ju just do this thing, but for some reason wasn't doing it. Um, and Kate had had similar experiences. And then once we got together, it was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this stuff. Um, so, I mean, I think as a writer, I write so much about feeling disembodied or um, dissociated from myself um, because I am. <laughs> and so a part of or the big draw for me for doing performance art was just to try to deal with that or highlight that or play with that or um, just try to figure out more about that. Um, so, yeah. And then after doing the performances, I don't know if it really directly affected my poetry because they're really different modes. Um, yeah, I mean, the performances that Kate and I had done uh, as the third thing have been, uh, you know, they've had a very loose kind of structure, um, but it's completely improvised um, aside for from uh, we usually will have made some sort of video that's projecting in the back and, you know, edited it and had that part. But um, and we've used poetry in our performances as well. Um, so, yeah, there's I guess there's a lot of connections between those. Hmm. So, um, I, how did the path, um, <laughs> how, how did, uh, born again come into being? Like what's mm -hmm. the path that you took towards, uh, pulling that together into a, a compilation of poetry and essays sure. as well? Um, you know, when I was at Mills, I was writing a lot of poetry that felt, um, like it wasn't me actually, or I think when I was at Mills, I was really just trying to figure out, uh, find, I mean, find my voice, I guess it's a cliche, but that's what I was doing. Um, and even before that, at the new school, I was very kind of language influenced and interested in language poetry. Um, but the move to California, uh, I mean, part of the reason that I moved to California was because I was kind of tired of these, or what kind of felt like, a, at the time, at least the, um, maybe the new school specifically, besides um, my good experience with Jennifer, it had felt very academic and maybe like unwelcoming of um, something that's more raw and more real um, and rough around the edges. Um, so yeah, that I went to Mills and yeah, like I said, didn't really find, uh, didn't write stuff that I was super happy with. And then uh, when I graduated, 
I basically was just like, okay, I'm going to kill all of the voices in my head telling me what I should write um, and what I shouldn't, you know, literally like my professor's voices. I'm like, I will kill them. Um, And that's kind of how Born Again started, just uh, trying to come back to um, the way that I actually wanted to write. But I think I was feeling discouraged and maybe even a little embarrassed that it might have been seen as confessional um I think because you know confessionalism is associated with you know teenage girls who are melodramatic and you know they can't have deep thoughts um so yeah I was I was afraid of that but I just kind of said um screw it I'm just gonna write whatever I want and that's how it started It's a powerful uh, way of claiming your own voice in that way of uh, saying, (laughs) screw it, and just going for it. And I think it turned out very well. I really love the book. And um, uh, it's, as the title suggests, and as is very notable throughout the book, is there's a lot of religious imagery, um, not just Christian imagery, but also other versions of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And um, can you maybe speak to bit about um, the inspiration for these poems and how you drew these poems sure, together? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I started to think a lot about the etymological link between rape and rapture. And became really fixated and fascinated with that um, because I did grow up uh, Pentecostal, which for those of you who don't know, it's, it's an ecstatic religion where, you know, people become quote unquote slain in the spirit and they become filled with the Holy Ghost and will do things like speak in tongues or cry uncontrollably or shake or, you know, do a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, my religious upbringing is also been super oppressive and uh yeah so I was thinking about the connections like I said between rape and rapture um and also you know um a lot of it has to do also with my time living in New York and feeling hyper aware of the male gaze um and just also you know feeling like there was nowhere that I could go um without someone trying to you know, fuck me either literally or figuratively. Um, so mm-hmm. all of those things kind of become entangled. Um, also, there's a lot in the book about um, Medea, uh, Pasolini's movie version of Medea in particular. Um, I read a book in college uh, called The Theory of the Novel by Lukash, and um basically he's in the beginning of the book he's well he's talking about different genres like he's talking about the epic and he's talking about tragedy and he's talking about the novel and he's looking at these as some sort of indicator of a way to see the historical consciousness of the time um if that makes sense and so he talks about um in the epic where it's a closed world where I think he says something like the fire of the stars is the self-same fire that burns, um, you know, in the fire uh, in front of us. Um, and there's no separation between people in some sort of way that's 
really confounding and hard to understand, but sounds, um, you know, utopic in a way or sounded utopic in a way to me when I was reading it uh, pretty young. And so, yeah, I started to think about Medea as this character almost out of Lukash, um, where she, uh, she was, she was a figure that had supernatural powers. She was a sorceress, um, within her own land and then, um, decided to leave it all, uh, and kill her brother and steal the golden fleece, uh, to follow Jason of the Argonauts and then starts to basically lose her powers of sorcery. And I actually identified with that a lot, um, growing up Pentecostal and, um, feeling very close to God or a spiritual force and then becoming utterly bereft of that was really devastating. So, um, yeah, I mean, born again tries to, I guess, tease a lot of these things apart, think through these different, um, subjects that are intertwined. Um, so, uh, the structure of the book has, um, like sections of poems are separated by these really beautiful lyrical um, essays. And um, I was wondering how you came to incorporate essays into the collection as a whole and how they're meant to inform the poetry. Yeah. So um, I think the, as I, it took me, you know, a little while, maybe, two or so years to write Born Again. And as I kept writing it, I became more and more interested in uh, a type of writing that in no way tried to obfuscate what I was saying or doing or um, concealing it for maybe avant-garde purposes. Not that the lyric poems do that at all, but I just became more interested in narrative. and I became more interested in writing that uh, had something to actually say, um, like a direct thing that it was saying. Um, so I think that, uh, well, the three narratives also, um, or essays, or I'm not even sure what to call them, um, they are all, I guess, ecstatic experiences. Um, the first one is... I guess, a sexual experience um, where it's written in a way that um, might lead you to believe that the person writing it is very embodied or like so embodied it's um, overwhelming and disembodying at the same time. Uh, it's ex- it's like ecstatic. It's jouissance. Um, and then the second narrative I think is the Seattle narrative I I lived in Seattle for a while um and it's about a time it's about a lot but there's a there's a narrative uh kind of woven in there about a time that I you know basically smoked weed and had a really intense out-of-body experience um and then yeah there's one that's about a sexual assault in New York and then the last is um about speaking in tongues, uh, probably when I'm about 10 years old, growing up uh, Pentecostal, um, where I invoke St. Teresa of Avia quite a bit. So um, it felt important to kind of ground the book in these different experiences um, to have different approaches to looking at the ecstatic. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, as you were talking about like the first essay and embodiment and um, it's one of the themes that I, I noticed in the book was this mixture of like full embodiment and as well as in addition to this, this spiritual experience and how they kind of blend together and kind of connect to each other and have this single experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and um I, I, you've also spoken in the, in other interviews as well as about your own experience in the physicality and, and that sort of thing. And I was wondering if you would speak a little to that and how that works throughout the book. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm writing from my own experience. So like I said, I have a, I've, I have this problem of being um, dissociated and disembodied a lot of the time. Um, and what I do, uh, you know, is I try to like exercise mm-hmm. and like do meditation. And um, I'm also a super physical and sensual uh, person or like tactile person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just experience the world uh, in that way. Um, but at the same time, there's a split where I feel outside of myself so much of the time. So I think that it's uh it just comes out of, you know, being in this body and having this experience, but I mean also um I talked about uh the male gaze a little bit earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, kind of dictating my t- entire experience of living in New York or what felt like it at least. Um and so I I like to move that that I, I guess, um EYE from uh internal or physically embodied to external um because it's kind of highlights um i think the way that uh you know women and femmes end up constantly scrutinizing themselves uh mm-hmm. themselves and um trying to see themselves through the eyes of other people because um not because we're shallow but because um society says that our value is um laid within our physical appearance so that's a really big part of it um but also um i think about foucault's panopticon quite a bit um even just as an image like uh i remember when i was reading uh foucault in I think at Mills with Diane Katie, she showed us a picture of the Panopticon, which is like basically um, a tower for which from which um, the uh, like a jailer observes all of the people being jailed and um, uh, able to see everything. You know, you don't know if they're ever there or not, but you also it's like this feeling of being constantly scrutinized and watched. And thinking about how, um, you know, that relates to capitalism, patriarchy, um, heteronormativity, all of these things, and how that, you know, becomes internalized within us, where, um, you know, that could be a big cause of disembodiment um, and feeling like uh, not integrate, not an integrated, uh, not having an integrated sense of self or something like that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I would love um, if is is there a particular poem that you um, feel represents the collection well? I would love if you would share one of the poems from the collection with us. Sure. Hmm. It's hard. What should I choose? Um. Let's see, I did a reading a while ago and I still have my little post-it notes. So uh, maybe I'll read. I really like this one. It's, um, it's called Nothing Tastes Better Than Skinny Feels, um, which is actually, I struggled with an eating disorder in New York and my supposed best friend used to tell me that, which I think Kate Moss used to say. Um, and now I'm just like, I just want to, tear his head off when I think of him telling me that <laughs> but okay so I'll read this um, nothing tastes better than skinny feels I'm on top of the world I grew up a village girl but now I'm urbane I used to till the fields I used to hide my dirty feet from townsfolk look at me now I'm living proof that you can do anything you put your mind to I used to think I was stuck with this body I was born in it's this dream I have that I am living, that I am not a ghost. I live in a six-floor walk-up. The view from my bedroom is a brick wall. The view from my living room is a grid of tiny windows. Eyes of the city only reflect. At night, I walk naked to pee under bright lights. Nowhere in the city do I find human touch. The last time I was touched, I was raped. Just kidding. The last time I was touched, I was raped. By day, the women folk whisper and look at me without turning their heads. There's this myth about the human face. I could tell you so many stories. I turn off the lights. The courtyard is locked and filled with garbage. I dream of jumping off. I make a plan. The plan is to fall. That is such a beautiful piece. Uh and I'm I'm noticing because I, uh, I have that. the book in front of me right now that it's I I made a little underlined a couple of things mm -hmm. the the use of repetition it, um, oh. is is really uh, lovely I mean it works well to to provide the emphasis of the thing um, like the the just kidding mm -hmm. turn where you where you take that line. The, you know, the last time I was touched, I was raped, just kidding, and then repeat mm -hmm. it. it. It's like, it creates such a powerful effect. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it kind of, when you were talking about that, it kind of reminds me of this, uh, it reminds me of Kate and I's performance art a lot, um, where we did this performance piece in at Alley Cat. Uh, at this point a couple of years ago for Amy Berkowitz's um, release party of Tender Points, which is a great uh, TIL book. Um, but it was basically like we were just lamenting women where we were like, you are going to look at us. Um, you are going to hear us scream. Um, so, I mean, we had like these, I guess these nightgowns on and really mm -hmm. like ridiculous gaudy makeup um and so we played this disturbing footage that basically was like a reenactment of 
I mean, a reenactment in a, in a loosely based way, actually, of, mm. of the rape that I'm referring to in this poem. Um, and we just like screamed and tore our nightgowns like to pieces. We had Alka-Seltzer in our mouths and just, yeah. you know, through the spit, we were literally <laughs> foaming at the mouth um, for a really, really long time. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, I will make you look at this. You will sit. Yeah, through this. I mean, um, yeah, both the the performance you described and and those lines and poetry in general can have this power of of making declarations that otherwise um, people might not listen to, and um, and those lines as well. Yeah. It's like. Um, it just reminds me of trying to have a serious conversation about that kind of stuff and it getting too serious for the other person. So you just kidding mm -hmm. it, but, but it's like, no, really, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a true thing or yeah. a real thing, you know? Yeah. So, um, yep. yeah. And, um, uh, you know that yeah it's a beautiful piece <laughs> the jumping off at the end and the Thank falling you. but it's it's falling but it also feels like it's taking flight Thank so you. yeah yeah I like that interpretation um, so um I one question that came to mind for me that um looking at these poems in this book um what would be your hope for what this book would achieve or how it would connect with other readers? Yeah, I mean, I just hope that, I, I mean, reading, reading uh, certain poets and certain books as a, as a teenager living in North Dakota, you know, before the age of Amazon where you could even order anything, um, where, you know, you really had to search things out or like go to the, um, you know, whatever little bookstore you had and, you know, order them from them. Books were very precious to me um, and got me through very difficult times or also just it's helped me realize that I wasn't totally crazy or totally weird um, because I was really different from you know, a lot of the people around me. Um, and so I hope somebody could pick this up and maybe this helps them get through, you know, something that they're going through. Um, uh, I just hope it's, you know, I just hope someone picks it up and it speaks to them in some way that helps them parse through some of the difficult questions that, mm. you know, I'm trying to parse yeah. through in the book. Um, I, I, can see that it has the potential to do that and I certainly certainly hope that it does as well and um so what what are you working on now um what can the world expect from you as you continue your path as a poet and performance artist yeah so I'm actually working on a I guess it's a type of memoir um the tentative title is Precious Moments. Um, and there's, I actually have a chapbook called Precious Moments, um, published by Sky Trail Press, which is <laughs> my boyfriend and I. <laughs> um, and I haven't really uh, 
been promoting it too much, but while I'm here, I could say if people do want to get their hands on it, they could just email me at ivy.m, as in marie.johnson at gmail.com. Um, and then, you know, we'll figure out a Venmo thing and it's $5. I'll send it to you. It includes shipping for the $5. So, um, what, what it's about is, you know, actually this time that I keep talking about that I lived in New York and had, you know, just a really, um, hard time and kind of a mental break. Uh, I guess a really intense, uh, depressive episode that lasted maybe like two years. Um, and so, um, it kind of takes off from the more narrative pieces of Born Again. When I was writing those, I was just, you know, really enjoying um, writing them and f- getting a lot of good feedback from other people. And so, yeah, I just wanted to um, write something that was more modeled after those. Um, yeah, so uh, there's the chat book. Um, it'll be a full length thing. <laughs> I'm not sure when. That's awesome. That sounds really, really great. Um, so to kind of close out and wrap up, I would love to know um, what you're reading right now or what sort of media that you're consuming right now that you're finding inspiring or loving or just enjoying for the pleasure of it. Yeah, it's um, a good question. I would say... Um, I've been meaning to read this book for years and I finally read it. Um, I guess now a little while ago, um, a month or so ago, but David Wojnarowicz is uh, close to the knives. Um, like <laughs> blew my face off or something. Um, it was just, yeah, it was exactly what I needed to read. Um, his writing it's yeah, I feel like I can't do it justice with the way that I'm trying to describe it, but I mean, I, I found it, I kind of read it to um, start to think about what it's like to to write a memoir. Um, and it's so moving and tender and gritty um, and, and heartbreaking and real. Um, I just really appreciate writers uh, where it's just kind of no bullshit. It's, you know, they tell it like it is, but in, in a really beautiful way. Um, subtle and nuanced way um so if you haven't read close to the knives i would recommend that so i'll have to check that out it sounds wonderful based on your description it's great well um thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate having this conversation with you thank you for having me yeah it's my pleasure um this is new books and poetry a podcast of the new books network thank you for listening